Okay, now you are in for a treat. Uh, let's just do a quick survey, quick show of hands. Who here uses LinkedIn? Okay, that's all of you, so you have the opportunity now to thank the creator and founder of LinkedIn, Reid Hoffman, who's gonna join me. Reid, come on out. <laughs> Sir, good to see you. Good to see you. Where would you like to sit? It doesn't matter. Okay, we got a chance. Uh, Reed had me to LinkedIn a few months ago. He got to interview me. Now the tables are turned. <laughs> I'm very excited. Uh, so first of all, thank you very much for being here. Uh, Pleasure and Really uh, an honor to share your insights with, uh, with all of us. So I would like to start, if you don't mind, with a quote that is often wrongly attributed to me, <laughs> but that I believe is correctly attributed to you, and I'd like to really check that out, if you don't mind, which I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. It's that if you wait until you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, then you have waited too long. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, is that, first of all, is that correct? Yes. You, in fact, have said that? I have correctly. Indeed. Okay, good. I'm yes. going to continue to attribute it to you. <laughs> yes. What does it mean? So um, the key thing when you're trying to crystallize a piece of advice in order to get people to think crisply is to get something that really sticks and is focused. And so in this one, the key thing comes down to is that the normal instinct for most entrepreneurs is to say, I'm going to be judged by my product. And so what I want to do is I want to do it kind of like the unveiling. For example, we had a car manufacturer in here earlier. Yeah. Like a car, like, ta-da, this is the thing we're shipping. And you, you rate me based <laughs> upon your first blush judgment of like the opening night of the movie. And of course, the whole world is going to do it yes. the first day, yeah. And there's a whole bunch of things that in traditional lower, uh, slower cycle industries, like you, know, you only have your first impression to make brand and everything else, which all reinforces this. And so, by the way, this quote only applies to software, and particularly <laughs> consumer internet software. I've had people go, oh, that's what I should do with hardware. And you're like, not so much. <laughs> right? um, and so the idea was to say, how do you get the internal temperature to know, are you moving fast enough? Because it's, it's the, the, the actual emphasis of the quote is speed. And also getting customer feedback, and obviously ties, this is the reason why I, I'm of not course. surprised that people attribute it to you in terms of lean methodology. Uh, and, uh, and part of it is, is to break yourself of this tendency to say, it's gotta be great when I launch it for a consumer internet thing so that everyone loves me, right? Because the real question is not what happens on the first day, the real question is what happens in the first month, the first six months, the first year, and you're optimizing for success at the first year, not at the first day. And for anyone other than, you know, maybe Steve Jobs or a few other people in the world who go, look, I am a perfect, you know, dousing rod person for knowing exactly what, what should happen here, getting that, getting up fast and getting that feedback and iterating is key. So, so I have been uh, also advertising, as we talked about last time, what I consider the secret corollary to Reed's theorem, hmm. uh, which I also want to check out with you, which is that what I've worked with a lot of teams, they say, yeah, that, okay, that's all well and good, but they're there is a certain level of polish and we live in a mobile world and they have to be there's a certain level of quality that is required. So we need to take longer to achieve this minimum level. And my, my new corollary I want to check out with you is uh, no matter how long you wait to release your first version, you will be embarrassed by it. Yeah. Because undoubtedly, you know, like yes. all these internal view of quality that you have like, isn't probably not going to be right. And then you're going to be embarrassed. So if we're going to be embarrassed anyway. Let's get it out of the way. Uh, I, I think that's... Can I get Ty Reed's endorsement for that? Yes, you have my endorsement yes. for that. But, but part of that is also is to really think about what the... I mean, you know, minimum viable product, to really think hard about what minimum is. Yeah. I mean, I, from very early days in LinkedIn, uh, my four co-founders grabbed me in a room and said, we cannot launch yet because we have to launch this feature called Contact Finder because people won't know what to do with LinkedIn if we don't launch this feature. And I said, well, will the site work? 
I'm like, yes. Huh? Will people be able to send out invitations? Yes. Will they be able to search? Will they be able to communicate with people? Yes. We're launching. <laughs> and if it so happens to be the day that May 6th, because we launched May 5th, 2003, on May 6th, that's the feature we need. We'll start building that. <laughs> we haven't built it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but any day now, I'm sure yes. it'll be absolutely essential. Yes. Um, so, so I don't think it's really given, first of all, everyone here considers LinkedIn to be obviously a core thing we couldn't live without. And obviously everybody always felt that way, even <laughs> 10 years ago, of course, it was obvious. That, mm -hmm. And therefore, it's hard for us to really imagine that there was ever a time when you had to debate with your co-founders about what features should be in or not, because now we consider it like just a core utility. So can you take us back to that meeting and to that time and talk about like, how did you figure out what should be in or not, and how, what did you think made the, that initial MVP viable? Well, so the key thing, I mean, LinkedIn as a, a network properties, right. as networks and marketplaces actually have very weird MVPs because you also need to have critical mass. Right. So the key thing that we were trying, the, the key problem that we were trying to solve in the very early days of LinkedIn is how do we get to a million people in the network? Because all of the features that we in, in, uh, envision being useful for when users would go, hey, it's awesome, I love this, this is something I want to use, require a million people in the network. So you have this challenge, how to zero, how first member, second member, <laughs> third member, value all value, get. I mean, zero value. So part of the strategy was we knew that there would be a subset of people who would say, look, I get this intellectually, I'm curious, and I'll experiment with it, I'll invite some people, and that that subgroup being active would get us to a million. And everyone else, we were just trying to get them not to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, it was like, huh, this is curious, hmm, okay, and I'll go away. And then we'd try to get them to come back when we started having more people and more in, in a larger network that could then serve their, their needs and utilities. And so part of that, uh, what was key on that piece of the debate was, could we start building up a network where people could look around and get something of the promise of it, and some subset of those people would send out invitations. Right. That was literally strategy from day one, and the absolute minimum viable thing. Now, the thing that, part of the reason when we launched, we started, because we, uh, I think we created the, the kind of the framework of early consumer and strategy of growth, engagement, and revenue in terms of a, of, a, of a strategic framework. When we started doing revenue, we chose job listings first, not because we thought it was going to be our central revenue stream, because it would begin to show people use cases, uh -huh. right? Where everyone says, oh, I see how I could use that. Uh -huh. <laughs> and that would be useful because there were a lot of people, like for example, uh, sorry, let me riff on one thing. Most people uh, say, uh, think that, oh, I know that I live in a networked world, right? And I, and, yeah, and I behave well, obviously, rationally. I, know, I certainly know that, yeah. Yes. Then the next question is, is what, and you I know the answer to this, but what's <laughs> your strategy for being found? Because if you believe that you're in a networked world, you are one, one person who's an active node in the network, and there is hundreds of millions of other people where some subset of those 100 million, let's say 100,000, are looking for you in the right kind of thing. And what do you do in order to be found by them? And if you don't actually really understand what you're, like, like being in a network world, unless you have a be found strategy as well, and still, by the way, there's a vast majority of people on LinkedIn who don't understand that. Yeah, yeah, so I, I want to ask you about that, and I, and I know how that ties into things that you've done later, but actually you, you blew right past the concept that I think people here will find very valuable, the, the strategy of growth engagement revenue, and especially how that applies in a marketplace business, because I meet with a lot of startups, as you do, yes. that are trying to do something like that, two-sided network, network effects business, and they yep. use critical mass as the excuse to never do anything. Yes. It's like, well, I, I can't possibly fail because I don't need to have critical mass. Once I have critical mass, yes. then everything will be great. I have no strategy to get from here to there, therefore yes. I don't have to do anything. Yes. I do not, by the way, to think is a winning strategy. Uh, uh, so, so, walk us, opposite of a winning <laughs> yeah. strategy. so walk us through yeah, like how you think about this framework and, and how folks could apply it. Well, so, um, 
So the key thing when you're thinking about, uh, and I frequently discuss these as human ecosystems, but networks, uh, marketplaces, and some, there's variants that are sometimes also platforms, is you, if you don't have a critical mass, you're dead. Right? And the marketplace is obviously buyers and sellers and so forth. And so in effect, your strategy, like one of the things actually, by the way, I architect in terms of layers of strategy for startups, financing, product distribution, then product, mm -hmm. right? So you, if you run out of money, you're dead. If you don't get your distribution right, you're dead. And by the way, when you're thinking about your product is, if you're not thinking about your product distribution as part of what you're thinking about your product, you're also usually dead when it comes to, especially networks and marketplaces. Certainly. So you have to have a sense of what that is. And by the way, the reason you divide it out is because sometimes there's something specific or unique about growth that is only a growth feature. It isn't an engagement feature. It isn't someone who goes, oh, I love that site because of X. It's something that actually makes it grow. Well, uh, so for example, uh, one of the things that was the difference between life and death for uh, LinkedIn is we uh, started a quote-unquote address book, which by the way, we're now really working on and <laughs> you can see it with LinkedIn contacts and everything else. But 10 years later. But it, yes, 10 years later. In 2003, the LinkedIn address book was, upload your address book and we'll show you who else is here. That's it. It's not really a usable address book. We called it an address book. But like, I didn't use it as an address book, right? <laughs> it just happened to be a, a, a quick proxy for showing me who else is here. Because one of the things we figured out, and we were the first people who did this, was that in growing a network, one of the key things, when someone shows up and the very first time they come there, their actual usual first question is, who else is here, right? And so some percentage of them, the <laughs> easiest way to discover that was to upload theirs. Well, oh, Eric's here. Oh, well, connect with Eric. Right. And all of a sudden, that started creating connectivity within the network. That's, at, at in 2003, it was entirely a growth feature. I couldn't, I couldn't, I cannot tell you the number of times that I had conversations, speaking of embarrassment, yeah. with my co-founders and people on the team going, this is embarrassing. This isn't an address book. <laughs> right? this is, you can't use this. And it's like, yeah, it's a growth feature right now. Yes, we have a plan to build it as an engagement feature, but right now it's a growth feature. And so you need to have that if you're doing networks or marketplaces. And by the way, in each of these cases, almost all of the strategies for how you get to critical mass are sui generis, right? Like e.g., each startup has its unique. It's not like, give me the marketplace playbook, that's what I do. Right. If it were that easy, there'd be lots more, <laughs> right? Same thing with networks. It, it, it's something about like, for example, uh, in PayPal, this is actually, PayPal was the one that taught me this in depth because uh, part of what uh, Luke Nozick and Peter and Max came up with is they said, oh, we're a payments network. So what we should do is we should give out free money such that I give you money to come here because that's related to what we're doing. Right. It's here's money because I'm paying you money in order to join. Using the product in you, order to do the viral growth. Yes, exactly. And that was like super clever, right? And I was like, ah, this is the general rule of that. Yeah, so, and, and a lot of people are trying to apply that to products where it's not a payments product and they're just paying people to use the product and that's just a formula for setting a lot of money on fire pretty quickly. Yes, especially when it has nothing to do with what your product is. If it has some relationship, maybe there's a strategy that works right. there. So I love your metaphor of ecosystem design rather than just product design or company building and I, I found that enormously helpful to think of the founder as like cultivating an ecosystem among the various partners and stakeholders, whether that's you know customers or advertisers or whatever partnerships you need to make yeah. it work. And I was just thinking about your, your comment about how each growth strategy is sui generis, it's almost like uh, we're developing herd immunity to these viral growth strategies. Yes. So they actually can't work over and over again kind of by design. That's exactly right. right. I mean, almost every viral design actually, I mean, the funny thing is when you look at virality, a lot of people say, oh yeah, I get it. It's like, you know, it's like Hotmail, it's like PayPal, et cetera. And you're like, no, actually, it's much more like epidemiology than you think. A lot of right. the mathematics in epidemiology applies. So if you're curious about the mathematics, go read the epidemiology literature. The second thing is, 
is people get antibodies. So for example, we were the first one to come up with, upload your address book and see else you know is here. Now everyone does this. Now, how many people upload their address books to do that? Very few, right. because they're like, oh, I don't want to do that again. Right, right I fell or, for that once. Yeah, <laughs> right. And you know, you, you have, by the way, you have to preserve trust and all the rest of it. It's really, really critical, I think, for the long term. But, uh, but part of the reason for these things being unique strategies, you have to figure out something that people go, oh, that's interesting, that's new, there's some trigger for me doing that. And people mm -hmm. frequently like, oh yeah, upload my address. Like, oh yeah, yeah, tell all my Facebook friends. You know, how many times have you heard that? Yeah, right. And how <laughs> eager are you to really yes. tell your Facebook friends? Yes, yeah. very limited circumstances now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, so, so it's interesting that you talk about, well, first of all, I want to check, I have so many things I want to ask you. Okay. One thing is I feel like people confuse virality with word of mouth. Yes. Uh, you know, every good product has word of mouth because yes. people like to brag about it. But yes. that does not meet the epidemiological criteria for viral growth. That's right. My feeling is viral growth happens only when uh, someone else being drawn into the product is a necessary side effect of just using the product. Whereas yes. viral growth is kind of optional. So like, you know, Ebola's yeah. ravaging your town. You can't be like, oh, I opt out. Yep. Not there's interested. No thanks. <laughs> yeah. That's not how it works. Yeah. Well, there's actually two forms of virality. One of them is the actual engagement, and sometimes it's just growth features. Right. right, like the address book wasn't an engagement feature, it was a growth feature. Right, but, it, but it, it's a consequence of yes. people using LinkedIn. Yes. You're like, oh, I want to have my address book on yes. here, boom, then those things, exactly. those things follow. So given that, and given that each growth strategy is kind of sui generis, hmm. I, I don't know, it would have been easy for me to think that therefore it would be impossible to invest in these things because hmm. each one is fundamentally different. And I see a lot of investors who basically their thesis is, well, I did this thing very successfully, I'll find other people copying me and I'll invest in them, and yet you've been able to make the transition from being a founder to really one of Silicon Valley's most successful investors. And, and what's interesting to me is so many of the companies you've invested in uh, have followed a similar like growth, I guess I'll use this framework now, growth engagement revenue mm -hmm. framework, even though the specific tactics they use were totally different, like you know, something like Zynga's, totally unrelated to what, or seemed from the outside, very unrelated yep. to LinkedIn. Yep. So square that circle for me. So there's a couple things. So one is, um, the reason you break out growth specifically is because in almost all of these things, a critical mass is necessary for actual viable products, <laughs> right? And so solving that problem is critical. Uh, the patterns by which people say, I am going to now go engage my friends or I'm going to bring in a group of people in some way, those patterns can be very idiosyncratic <laughs> and different. The engagement side is now I'm beginning to actually use the value proposition. And most of these things, uh, the models have some version of freemium, which are extremely important. And so the, the free value proposition, like I have yet to see anything that is, that is viral that isn't free or have a substantially right. free component. Sure, because the is, payment would slow down the yes, viral loop. Exactly. I, uh, uh, mathematically, it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> I've just never seen it. <laughs> right? And it may be you know, kind of pragmatically impossible. And then the last thing is, is normally, in terms of these systems, is because the, the, um, the network or marketplace is made more valuable by the wider range of folks who are engaged, a substantially kind of free engagement thing is, is, is important. But then that means that your monetization always is a sub, sub, subset, right? right. And, so, um, and so that's the reason why that pattern. Now, sometimes, by the way, it's really awesome when your growth and engagement are closely tied together. And you say, well, I don't really have to focus on three phases. I only really have to focus on two. Or, uh, in a marketplace where it's like, look, it's all paid transactions, frequently the growth is a little bit harder, but then once it's going, the business is a lot easier. Right. right? So that sometimes there's different weightings in terms of how this play. And if you have a great monetization engine, then frequently, like for example, you know, frequently people talk about V or K factors, and if you have a V or K factor that's lower than one, it's actually still a useful thing in a business. 
because, for example, if it's 0.5, that means every customer brings in two more, so you, you have a third of your customer acquisition cost, yeah. which then means that actually your paid acquisition strategy suddenly has wider opportunities in terms of how you're doing it. They interact. So that's, uh, but that's the, that's the reason why it's useful to have the three buckets, although it doesn't always mean it's formulaic. Bucket right. one, bucket right. two, bucket three. Yeah, I've been trying to convince people that sustainable growth happens when new customers come from the actions of past customers, mm -hmm. and rather than from some kind of external or one-off event that you can't keep repeating, because as the size of yes. the base grows, the only thing that is proportional to the size of the base is the base itself. Yes. Uh, and therefore, there's kind of three ways that can happen, what we call a paid, sticky, and viral engines of growth. Mm -hmm. So right, you can use marginal, positive marginal cost of acquisition, uh, high engagement businesses, and viral businesses. And the pattern I've noticed, and I'm curious if you see this too, uh, is that companies really specialize in one of those three engines of growth at a time. That the companies that yes. are really good at paid engage, like paid acquisition, you yes. know, they're not, they're really quite clumsy when they try yes. to be viral. And the companies that have super long retention, they're terrible at like TV advertising or brand advertising because yes. they never really needed to. Uh, and I think there's kind of a simple organizational competence reason, which is part of what happens is, you know, to use lean discussions, you're running a bunch of experiments. The experiments which have the highest yield and repetitively weren't, the rational thing to do is to put money more resources. Yeah, of course. Become much more specialized than that. And so therefore... That's where the ROI know, is. Yes, that's where the ROI is. So therefore, the management team is focused on there. Therefore, the, the key people in the company are going, this is the thing that we do in order to get more of. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I frequently wondered if, if that, you know, how you identify intelligently local maxima because uh -huh. you get into a culture and an ideology around that. And you say, well, actually, now is the time to actually go try, like for example, I mean, I've thought about this in a LinkedIn case, we've done no television ever. It's like, well, should we do television some year? Right. Oh, I don't know, I, I'm not even sure how to fully evaluate that. Um, we'll probably run experiments. I, I look forward to seeing it. I'm, yes. I'm thinking about like when World of Warcraft did television ads, and yes. like they were horrible, but yes. they didn't matter because <laughs> it's a high engagement product. Exactly. Um, one of the themes we've been talking about today is uh, not just getting companies started, but how to have a philosophy of long-term thinking and how to build an organization that's going to last. Mm -hmm. you know, you've now scaled LinkedIn from you know four co-founders. Mm -hmm. I don't know how big how big is it now. Uh, nearly four thousand people. Yeah, so that's pretty different. Yes. Um, I'm really curious about what are the things that you feel like you needed to put in place in the early days that really set you up for uh, building an organization that you could be proud of, and what are the things you kind of wish you had done earlier, but maybe didn't see uh, at the time? These are great questions, and we don't have full time for them. But, <laughs> so the key thing is, um, it, uh, in almost all, there's a whole bunch of things that you are in massive learning curves. So you want to have a learning organization. Uh, one of the things I think is frequently under-commented on the lean methodology is how it actually also binds a team together, right? So they go, oh yes, de-risking and all our CS, that's important. Yeah. But also the cohesion on the team and how you keep the team cohesive is actually, I think, under-commented in terms of how important that is. Yeah. So you want to have a, lean, uh, um, a, a learning culture in terms of what you're doing, and you want to have so a combination, and I frequently describe this as flexible persistence, where you have a yep. vision that you're really tied to, but you are constantly questioning and thinking about what you're doing to, to get uh, there, to, to shift around. Um, the things that, um, you know, I mean, this is something that we always wish we'd do better, and it's always hard because there's a limited number of hours in the day, is a lot of uh, recruiting, when you're recruiting people into the company, is a long game. Like, one of the things that you end up doing is you end up, you should constantly be talking to great people, even not just as the who applies to a job mm -hmm. listing or whatever, but with the idea of long-term of recruiting them into the company. And one of the things that if I were to go back and tell myself 2002, 2003, what I should have spent more time doing 
was essentially say, take 10% of my schedule or 20% of my schedule and just shift it to that. Mm -hmm. Not under the, oh, I'm hiring for, you know, DBA and I'm, <laughs> and I, and I'm, I'm thinking, level like, five. Yes. Yeah. And I'm just, well, at those stages, it wasn't level anything. <laughs> right. It was, you know, a DBA. <laughs> right. Anybody at all. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, and then be focused on some of the long game because recruiting is almost always, for great talent, is almost always long game. Mm -hmm. And start playing that reasonably easy. And, 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 and the reason I don't say like 50% of your time is because classically in startups is if I don't hit these, I don't make these experiments work, I don't hit these milestones in a year, I'm dead. So planning a three-year strategy <laughs> right. in detail in your first year is frequently it's a insane. misallocation of time and, you know, yeah. time and thinking. On the other hand, presume some, you got, always have to presume some success, in which case, if you're presuming some success, the recruiting game is a long game. Yeah, because you've got to sustain that pace of learning over a long time. Yes. All right, we're, we're almost out of time, but I've got to ask you one last question. So many people in this room, myself included, we all want to be the next Reed Hoffman. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? So do I. Yeah. <laughs> so just one last piece of advice for us to, who, who seek to follow in your footsteps. Oh, uh, that's, that's the question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or you could just say thank you. No, <laughs> no, I, well, I will in a moment. But uh, <clears throat> I guess the key thing is um, part of because with the consumer internet, um, uh, it's been so amazing that we've had amazing young founders and how much younger the kind of average age of successful founders has come down, especially in the consumer internet. It's different in the enterprise, other sorts of things. Um, is 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 actually to really think about these as long games. Because actually, a surprising number of the Web 2.0 companies, um, you know, myself with LinkedIn, Pincus with Zynga, et cetera, are actually repeat founders. And so be thinking about this game, yes, you're all in for the first game, but be thinking about this game as probably a multiple game strategy. I mean, so for example, when I started my first company, SocialNet, I had that mindset, which was, look, I'm gonna try as hard as I can to make this work. But I'm going to be thinking a lot about also what does the long game look like because in any startup, no matter who you are, there is a substantially less than 50% chance of, of, of succeeding. That's very optimistic. <laughs> yeah. so, well, substantially less. It might be 30, it might be 5, it might be 1. <laughs> right. It's low. So given that, in your own startup and what you're doing, be thinking about how it is you're playing the long game yourself. So for example, the relationships that you're building with people around you, for when you're financing your second company or having them help you in their second company, pay attention to that. Build those for real. Be generous and be building alliances, like trading insight and information with them as well. Because the greater than 50% chance is that as an entrepreneur, you're going to be doing a second startup. And you want to be well set up for that, even though you're putting in 100 hours a week. And it can't possibly fail, yeah. right? <laughs> yes, and it can't possibly fail. You know, and this is actually one of the classic things on entrepreneurship is you have to both be presuming that, that this thing's going to work and that you're playing the long game. And on holding these duality, flexible persistence, holding these yep. dualities in mind is key to succeeding. Reed, it's such a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yes. And good luck. <laughs>